All right, glad you're with us. All right, we have tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of news we're going to get to today. Glad you're with us. Uh, write down our toll-free telephone number. It is 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. All right, now the Democrats. Now we've got Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC. Uh, yeah, they're all stepping up big time. Their attacks on Mayor Bloomberg. Actually, Bloomberg actually is now out there trying to say his own words, because we're giving you his own words, are not indicative of the way that he thinks. <laughs> you know how dumb that sounds? Remember, this guy for 12 years supported these policies, but it's it's not even the stop and frisk policy, because that's supposed to be about, okay, where is the crime? It's not about what race is in this particular part of town. It never was. Where is the where is the highest? Where is the where are the most murders taking place? Where's the most violence? Where's the most drug dealing? That that's the idea. It's the what he thought behind the thought that what went in behind this. That's so shocking in all of this. Now he's trying to, you know, say, well, I did. It's not indicative of how I felt. Oh, I, I now he's trying to get as as many African-Americans to come out supporting him. Okay, what is he supporting their causes? You know, who knows what's going on behind the scenes? I don't trust the thing that he's saying for 12 years as mayor. He advocated, pushed this hard and 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 redlining as well, which is fascinating. We'll talk about that uh, in uh, later on in the program today. But you can't not listen to his own words or listen to them and say, oh, of course, you're right, Mr. Mayor. It's not indicative of what you thought, even though we had five years of de Blasio. You still never said anything about it. You never had that change of heart that was sincere and real. All this is is cheap political theater an election year conversion. Once he decided to run for president, I made a mistake of crocodile tears. I don't believe it for a second. And this is what everyone hates about politicians. So, you know, what did he say? It was clear. Police stop white people too much and minorities too little. Uh, He says now he wants us to believe that's not indicative of the way he thought for 17 years, the last 17 years. I don't believe him. He's asking us to believe something ridiculous when he said that stop and frisk, quote, targeted minority kids who who cops must throw up against the wall well i mean excuse me you're almost saying not only you're stopping them but we're gonna kind of we're gonna be brutal to you uh and i know most cops are not like that in new york city they go out of their way but you know look what's been happening lately all the attacks on cops then you got your bloomberg and his old own words, murders, murderers, murder victims, they fit one M.O., one, not two, one M.O. And you could just take a description, Xerox it, pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 16 to 25. He said it, his own words. Words mean something. And then he says, well, people say, oh, my gosh, you're arresting kids for marijuana that are all not some, all minorities. His answer, yes, that's true. They're all minorities. Why? Because we put all, not some, all the cops in minority neighborhoods. And then he takes it a step further. And he's saying, 
Why do we do it? Why? Because that's where all, not some, the crime is. So he's now going to set up a, a, a slicker marketing campaign, I'm sure, in the days and weeks ahead and and try and convince people that what he said is not in any way indicative of what he really means. OK, uh, I think that is what people have rejected in all politics. That's called political expediency and election year conversion. It's also phony. It's not real. It's not sincere. It is done because, okay, I'm trying to get the Democratic nomination for being president, running against Donald Trump. Uh, so let's look at identity politics. Who, who represents the Republican coalition? You have certain you know, coalitions in each party, a big part of the base of the Republican Party of conservatives. Okay, you got to appeal to conservative voters in primaries if you want to win. And if you're a Democrat... African-Americans, it's a big, big, big part of the Democratic Party base. Okay, well, they're going to find out about my positions on stop and frisk, so I better cry or at least act like I'm crying. And after 17 years, I've had this conversion, and it's real, and it's meaningful, and it's sincere, and he did it. But now we know what was really behind it. Now he's saying, well, don't believe my actual words. It's everything we hate. Now, I'll tell you, before I get into the shift show and this phoniness that is all going on now they now want to impeach bill barr and president trump again because of his comments on roger stone it's wait till you hear we went we researched we have more information that you need to pay attention to because we we have described in detail what i believe is a, a a dual justice system i'm saying we have no equal justice under the law we have no equal application of our laws. And I am saying that what is happening in this country, if we don't fix it, you might as well take our Constitution, which is foundationally where all of our laws come from, and shred it because it's meaningless. And I'm not kidding either. This is not hyperbole. But in the prism of that, I want you to keep this in your head. Washington Examiner has an article out. Pay attention to these numbers. This is interesting. That the president is expanding his base with black, Hispanic, and suburban voters. Approval rate, 51%. Zogby Analytics, overall, proving uh, the president's uh, policies. Then if you look at African Americans, it's up fairly significantly from where it was, 22% now, with African Americans approving of, of the presidency of Donald Trump. He got 8% of the African American vote in 2016. Among Hispanics, it's even higher, uh, 36%. Asian Americans, uh, 38%. Well, I would think that those statistics and all the records the president has been breaking, record low unemployment, the best employment situation since 1969 uh, matters. Another poll comes out. What do we see? Majority of swing votes, vote states, or sting, sorry, swing state voters approve of the president's killing of Soleimani. Only people seemed upset with Democrats because they don't want to give the president a win on anything. But if you look at the very specific states, Washington Free Beacon, and what do we have? Uh, we have, let's see, Florida, majority of voters in Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, backed the president's actions. Well, that's a big deal. The only people that seem to not like it, those that wouldn't stand during the State of the Union, were Democrats. Meanwhile, the number one state sponsor of terror, K-12 
killing Americans in Iraq and elsewhere and proxy wars and funding terror groups like Hezbollah. Yeah, that would be Iran and led by their number one killer, who's now dead, thankfully, Soleimani. We have a Gallup poll finding, oh, the Trump boom. Voters are better off. Key accomplishments are getting traction. People are now being six and ten adults say they're better off than they were three years ago. More than reported this in prior presidential reelection years, according to Gallup, on the better off question comparing how voters feel at this reelection point. Well, Trump's at 61 percent. Obama was only at 45 percent in 2012. Bush was only at 50 percent in in 2004. Clinton was only at 50 percent in 96. Bush 41, 50 percent in 92. Those are big numbers. You know, some I, I, I think that's a huge indicator of how the American people feel. I think more than doubling the record of any other candidate in a New Hampshire uncontested primary, which we saw Tuesday night, is another indication. Now, we'll get to the ins and outs of the madness that is unfolding under the Democrats in their lead up to 2020 in just a second here. But we got something else to deal with. So the Attorney General Bill Barr and John Durham are doing an investigation. They are, I hope, for the sake of our country, going to get to the bottom of all of the FISA abuse, the dirty Russian dossier that was, well, leaked to the press, hacks like Korn and and Isikoff. Uh, But more importantly, you know, we have identified crimes that have taken place. But I only see people like Roger Stone and Papadopoulos and General Flynn and Paul Manafort. Oh, no. You know, how many of them get pre-dawn raids? Did we really have to send? Oh, and CNN cameras happen to be there. A a pre-dawn raid, Paul Manafort. All they had to do was ask his lawyer. Hey, uh, you got to you got to come in at nine tomorrow. We're going to put a warrant out. We're going to go get you. Well, okay, but that would have happened. They stuck a gun in his wife's face. Roger Stone. Oh, what did they do to Roger Stone? Well, they had frogmen in the backyard. Frogmen in the backyard. Um, Now, I want you to, before we even get to the specifics, and all of the people we know that were are guilty and were guilty of the exact same thing that they are claiming Roger Stone did, and by the way, Now we discover that a former Memphis City School board president, uh, it was the foreperson of the jury that convicted Roger Stone on obstruction charges last year. And by the way, huge Democratic activist, even a picture I saw of her with a prominent Democratic figure and even posting specifically about the Stone case before she voted to convict Stone. Well, that means that case has to be thrown out. If we have any fundamental fairness. All right. What, did, what was Roger Stone's big crimes here that deserved nine years in jail? Let's look at him. All right. One count uh, of obstruction of an official proceeding. I guess that's Congress. Five counts of false statements. One count of witness tampering. By the way, the so-called witness is begging the judge in this case, Amy Berman, you know, don't don't get if I would have known my my testimony is going to put this guy in jail. He's just a, he's kind of being a blowhard. That was he didn't mean any of this. OK, so they want seven and nine years. And then the attorney general Barr steps in and says, this is ridiculous. 
Now, we have gone and we've looked at the time actually served in state prisons uh, before people are released. Let's see. Now, if you do commit murder, you're going to spend a median time of 13.4 years. Murder. Negligent manslaughter. How much time? Think in your mind. Four years. Rape. Sexual assault. Four years, two months. Robbery. Three years, two months. Assault to somebody. One year, four months. That's the average. But you, a guy that gave five false statements, uh, tried to get a, a witness to say something that maybe they shouldn't have said. Witness tampering and obstruction. Okay, he was found guilty. I don't, but now we know the jury four person hated Roger Stone and was a Democratic activist. Did we really need the pre-dawn raid and the frogmen? No. Now, when we get back, we'll give you the list of people that we know have lied and nothing ever happens to them. Because that is where my greatest fear is at this hour. Are we going to have equal justice and application of our laws or not? Well, I think those statistics matter the most. So they want to put in all right, one count obstruction of official proceeding, five counts of false statements, one count witness tampering. That's all right. Found guilty. Now. We're discovering, oh, turns out that the uh, jury foreperson had a bias. Remember the, the gag order that they put on Roger Stone? It was unbelievable. Now I'm looking at the number of years, rape, sexual assault, median time served in prison, 4.2 years. The mean time, six, max 6.2. Okay, that, that, that we're talking about rape and sexual assault, manslaughter. You spend four years in jail. That's the median time served. And I can go on from there. And, and robbery, 3.2 years. That's it. And I'm just, I'm looking at the numbers. And if you want the percentages of people and, and negligent, you know, there are, there are people of negligent manslaughter that only get 6.6 .6 years. You know, that's, or 6.6% of people only get six months. You know, if, again, if you look at the median average, it's, it's that low. And that's what the Attorney General Barr saw. And now they're mad at Attorney General Barr. And Attorney General Barr, are they really mad about him stepping in? No. What Barr saw is prosecutorial abuse. And Barr now sees that, uh, and I, that disparate sentencing. And Barr sees a double standard. For example, I'll go through quickly. And we'll get into more of this at the other side. Well, I have a USA Today story. Well, James Clapper lied to Congress. The Guardian has a piece. John Brennan lied to Congress. Uh, we have a New York Post. Oh, Loretta Lynch lied to Congress. Washington Examiner. James Comey lied to Congress. We have more stories about James Comey and Loretta Lynch lying to Congress. Eric Holder lying to Congress. Lois Lerner lying to Congress. Jack Lew lying to Congress. Those are all articles. Uba Abedin, Cheryl Mills, Andrew McCabe. All lying. Where are their prosecutions? Where are their nine years? At 25 now till the top of the hour, 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of this uh, extravaganza, hang on, I'm sending this out. Da, 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 blah, 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 blah. Okay. Uh, of course, it's only 200 and, uh, let's see, 64 days until you, the American people, get to shock the world again. Now, I know, look, everybody's screaming bloody murder. That the president's angry. President's angry. And I, I, I understand. 
Now, the president is not like any establishment president. May, should the president, hey, the president has the right to pardon Roger Stone if he wants, and he can, and he probably should. I think Barr did the right thing. But it's got to be Barr's decision. And the president said he and Barr did not talk in any way when he made the decision that, well, considering we only give, let's see, median time served in prison for negligent homicide is four years and median time served in pri- pri- prison for rape and sexual assault is 4.2 years uh, time served in prison and robbery is only 3.2 years and assault is only 1.4 years and Oh, burglary, by the way, that's only 17 months. That's it. Larceny, theft, only 11 months median time served in prison. Uh, Even if you steal a car, you only spend about median time served in prison is a year, 12 months. Drug possession, 10 months. Trafficking, 17 months. That's not a lot. And if if you just go through all of this, what, what do you find here? You have more than seven in 10 violent offenders released in 2016 served less than five years in prison, state prison. That is not a lot of time. Okay, let's go back now and look at Roger Stone again. Roger Stone, one count of obstruction of an official proceeding. Five counts of false statements. One count witness tampering. Stone was found guilty on all seven counts. Well, now we've learned that some of the prosecutors involved in this mess uh, wanted seven to nine years for Stone for that. But this is the average sentencing for others. Then we see that the the jury foreman for person in this particular case name is uh, Tamika Hart, former Memphis City School Board president, uh, apparently a big activist on Twitter. We now know that. She's the foreperson of the jury convicting Roger Stone. Why was this person ever on the jury? I would say strong case should be made that this person never should have been there. I can't tell you how many people that work for me that get called in for jury duty and then they get asked, what do you do? I work in radio. I work in television. Okay, what do you do in TV? What do you do on radio? I work for the Sean Hannity radio show. I work for Hannity, the TV show. Thank you very much for your time. Dismissed. Now, has that happened to anyone? I think one of you guys had happened to, right? You know, raising their hand in there. It did happen. To, you don't want, do you want it? You can tell the story if you want. It's up to you. But that has happened uh, to many people. Now, that's kind of interesting. Why don't they want Sean Hannity workers? We don't have a litmus test for political opinions if you work on this show. I would think maybe it would be good for you if, in fact, you did have uh, the same point of view, because then you could there's more of a passion behind what you're working on. But the double standard is real. The double standard is important. And I don't think that you should have political activists. You know, this heart, this person heart, the, the jury for person in this case of Roger Stone posting specifically about the Stone case before she voted to convict as she retweeted an argument mocking those that considered Stone's dramatic arrest in a pre-dawn raid by a federal tactical team to be excessive force. Uh, That's not what we do with most people that, you know, as we call it, white-collar crimes, nonviolent offenders. 
The way it works usually, unless you're trying to make a show of things and show people how tough you are and intimidate people, is the way that usually goes down is you call that person's lawyer and you say, you got a report, you're going to be indicted, uh, and we're going to arraign you or whatever it happens to be at 7 a.m., meet us here, warrant out for your arrest if you don't. If you're really worried about it, you could surveil the house to make sure they don't leave at 3 a.m. and try and race to the airport and sneak out into some foreign country. Uh, that's what usually happens. But if the person is making fun of that, there was no need for frogmen to arrest Roger Stone. There are gun records, for example. Roger Stone apparently never owned a firearm. That's good information to have. And then they did the same thing. Paul Manafort, what is he, close to 70 years old? Paul Manafort. Pre-dawn raid, and it just so happened that the the CNN cameras were there to capture it all. Wow, isn't that interesting? Can't believe it. They surround the house. They come in, guns drawn. You know, putting a gun in the in the face of Paul Manafort's wife was that necessary? Look at the way they've treated Papadopoulos. Papadopoulos, what did he do? Oh, lied to Congress. Well, that's interesting because. If we don't get this all straightened out, I think this is where the president and I'm sure it's given the attorney general heartache at the Department of Justice, because that's got to be separate and apart from what the president does. And the president announcing, you know, you got to let the attorney general do his thing. And the president said he did not talk to attorney general Barr. And the media is like, oh, Barr now has to go. He's taking orders from the president. No, Barr needs to just do his job and not worry what anybody says. Because if we follow the law and if we apply the law equally in this country, we know based on information that is out in the public domain that there are a lot of people that have done a lot of things that have never been treated the exact same way as either Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, uh, Papadopoulos, General Flynn. So mistreated. Here's a guy that they made him sign a paper and the paper it said that that he would admit to lying to the FBI. He did not lie to the FBI. They didn't lie at all to the FBI. And the FBI that interviewed him didn't think he lied to the FBI. Then why was why did he sign that paper? Well, he signed the paper. Now, this is after a long legal proceeding. And after the long legal proceeding, he had no more money to pay his lawyer, so he had to sell his house. And in the process of dealing with aggressive prosecutors they said either sign this agreement we're giving you or we know your son was in business with you and we're going to go after your son and i think most fathers if at least i know i i think i'd do it and he's served his country 33 years so so if i don't sign this paper and admit that i'm lying you want me to lie and and sign these papers and say i did something i didn't do so you're telling me to lie so that you won't attack my family which has already suffered and we lost our family home and now you want to go after my son and maybe put him in jail that would be prosecutorial overreach or abuse so he signed the paper and now they had a plea agreement it wasn't going to be jail time now they wanted six months now i have in front of me a list of things Let's see. USA Today headline, James Clapper lied to Congress. Where are the frogmen at his house? Where's the tactical teams? Where's the pre-dawn raid? Where are the CNN cameras? We have the Guardian. CIA Director uh, John Brennan 
lied to the Senate. Wow. Again, where are the frogmen, the tactical, you know, gear guys? And by the way, I'm not blaming them. They're told to go arrest somebody. Not their job to question that. Loretta Lynch lied to Congress, New York Post. Loretta Lynch's story on the Hillary probe. Loretta Lynch lied to Congress. Well, it sounds a lot like what Roger Stone, Papadopoulos, some of the charges even with Manafort. Well, I didn't see any pre-dawn raid there either. James Comey. Oh, we know he was, there was a criminal referral for lack of candor. That would be called lying. And, of course, other crimes, which I'll get to in a second. But Washington Examiner headline, James Comey lied to Congress. Loretta, we have another one at Town Hall. Loretta Lynch again. James Comey again. Lie to Congress. We have Investors.com. Uh, Eric Holder lied to Congress. Washington Times. Lois Lerner lied to Congress. U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, Obama administration official, lied to Congress about a key part of the Iranian deal. Washington Post. Deputy FBI Director Andrew McCabe lied to Congress and investigators. Like that was in the Washington Times and the Inspector General report. Washington Examiner, Clinton aide Cheryl Mills lied to DOJ officials. Let's see. The Daily Caller, Clinton aide Uma Abedin lied to DOJ officials. Oh, sounds like they lie a lot. The media lies all the time. You know, you want to talk, well, do we have equal justice under the law? Because I think that's where the president's frustration is coming from. And I, 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 I assume, you know, the attorney general is doing his job. I don't talk to the attorney general. I, I don't know the attorney general. I would like to. I think he's really good. But now that, you know, I, when there's a grave injustice like this, you want to know that somebody's going to get to the bottom of it. If we, we won't have constitutional order unless we apply our laws equally, equal application, we call it, equal justice, we call it. We know 18 U.S.C. 793, gross negligence, mishandling classified documents. That's the Espionage Act. Intentionally mishandling classified documents. Even James Comey admitted top secret classified information was on Hillary's secret server. That knowingly removing classified documents with the intent to retain them. You know, all of these, I, there's so many laws we've identified. What about Hillary Clinton using her office, Secretary of State? Remember that whole foundation, you, uh, Clinton Foundation pay to play? You know, we got bribery, the federal bribery statute, gratuity statute, mail fraud statute, wire fraud statute, honest services fraud statute, money laundering, all of that. Remember, you know, the whole idea, yeah, we'll sign off on it. And the very same people that we knew because we had an FBI spy that I interviewed within that Putin's rank. They were trying to get a foothold in the uranium industry in, in America. And that was the uranium one scandal. Why would America, we have to import uranium. We don't have enough uranium, ever give up any of our uranium uh, resources. We did. If Clinton knowingly paid, let's see, a foreign national, they funneled money through Perkins Coie into, what, a, a op research group, Fusion GPS, what about them? And then hiring Christopher Steele, pay for the dirty Russian dossier. Well, does that violate campaign 
payments to foreign nationals or filing false or misleading campaign reports by saying it's a legal expense. You know, if James Comey, remember that day, goes through 16 minutes, exonerates Hillary, no prosecutor would ever prosecute this. But it's also a crime to steal government documents. Remember, we now know the FBI actually raided Comey's home after he was fired. And we also know there was potential lying to Congress when he testified that he made the decision to clear Clinton after she was interviewed. Document show was before. Whoopsie daisy. Did he forget? What about James Comey? You know, what about his lies or lack of candor, as Inspector General Horowitz has said? What about Loretta Lynch or Andrew McCabe or Peter Strzok or Lisa uh, Lisa Page, James Rubicki, James Baker? Any of those officials use their positions to interfere with the Clinton investigation to absolve her for political reasons? That would be a crime if that happened. We know that the Inspector General and others in the FBI believed Andrew McCabe was fired for lying. To the IG, remember that IG report, the first one, false misleading statements, perjury, under oath, obstruction. I think they'd be applicable statutes for pre-dawn raids with tactical gear and frogmen. You know, the dirty dossier. Oh, yeah. Are we ever going to get to the bottom of premeditated fraud on the court to deny a fellow citizen their civil liberties, constitutional rights? Spy on a president, a presidential campaign transition team? And then presidency. They knew Steele was fired for lying. They knew exculpatory evidence existed. They had, they were all warned, but they still used it in the application. Top of the FISA application, it says what? Verified. uh, Deprivation of rights. All these things. Perjury. None of it happens to the other side. So I understand the, you know, I understand the attorney general's position on this. He's in a tough spot. I understand the president's frustration in this. I'm frustrated. Because it only seems that one side gets prosecuted. Keep hearing it's coming. It's coming. Never happens. Why the double standard? That is a huge question. And the impact. Now all the pressure's on bar. Stay right here for our final news roundup and information overload in the final hour of the Sean Hannity Show. All right, news roundup, information overload, hour 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of this extravaganza. Well, it's pretty fascinating to listen to Mayor Bloomberg, even though it's his own words. Oh, this is not indicative of the way I think or the way I led New York uh, when I was mayor. Uh, Yeah, that sounds kind of dumb. To be very honest, because uh, he said it and he did it for 12 years and then for four years, five years after, didn't ever say it was a bad idea. It only became a bad idea to, you know, get all crocodile teary eyed uh, on the issue of stop and frisk, which is separate and apart from this whole issue of what he said um, when he decided he's going to run for president. And a big part of the Democratic Party coalition is African-Americans. And you know, it was five years ago. And, you know, it's, it's just not the way I, that, that I think. And it doesn't reflect what I do every day. And I, and I led the most populous, largest city in the United States. I got reelected thir- three times. Yeah, Democrats run the city, nine to nothing, uh, nine million to two. And, uh, and he said, uh, you know, uh, 
well, it has nothing to do with how I think. And I'm like, what do you mean it doesn't, it's not indicative of how you think? Because we have, I know it's the audio is not as clear as we'd want it to be, but it's it's clear enough to hear it that, you know, police stop white people too much and minorities too little. He said that, you know, he said that they are with stop and frisk. They are specifically targeting minority kids whom he adds cops must throw up against the wall. How is that not indicative of how he thinks? Then he said murders, murderers and murder victims fit one not two, only one M.O. Just take a description, Xerox it, pass it out to all the cops. They are male minorities, 16 to 25. Wow, that's racial profiling at a level I've never heard before. And then he said, well, people say, oh, my God, you're you're arresting kids for marijuana and they're all minorities. And he goes, yeah, that's true. Why? Because we put all not some, all the cops in minority neighborhoods. And then he's, you know, heard in the recording saying, why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. Okay, I'm just imagining if Donald Trump said it all the way he said it, it'd be a much bigger deal with the media mob that hates Donald Trump, all things Donald Trump, every second, every minute, every hour of every day. Uh, but let's listen to Bloomberg in his own words. They just keep saying, oh, it's a disproportionate percentage of a particular ethnic group. That may be, but it's not a disproportionate percentage of those who witnesses and victims describe as committing the murder. In that case, incidentally, I think we disproportionately stop whites too much and minorities too little. 95% of your murders, murderers, and murder victims in one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the time. They are male, minorities, 15, 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. So you've got to be wondering, send the money to a lot of cops in the street, put those cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So it's one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minority. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhood. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is uh, to throw them up against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to get caught. So they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. All right. Joining us now, two people that know and have followed uh, Mayor Bloomberg for many, many years. Uh, good friends of the program, Joe Concha. He is the media writer for the and columnist for The Hill. Uh, Mark Simone uh, hosts a uh, top rated morning show on WOR, our affiliate in New York City. Uh, I actually I think it's fair to say that you and Bloomberg actually have a, a good relationship. Is that a fair statement, Mark Simone? It was. <laughs> I've had that experience, too, once in a while in my career. If he's looking at my Twitter in the last week, I would guess it's over, especially if he looks at it today. I don't think he's my friend anymore. I and like I, him. All right. Listen, I would argue from my standpoint, he was kind of like a caretaker mayor and then a nanny state mayor. I don't see that he did anything new, profound and what Rudy Giuliani put in place, he mostly kept in place, which was a smart idea. Uh, but I didn't see that he did any one thing spectacularly at all. 
Well, there were a couple of things. One, he uh, nobody remembers this. He ran saying he would fix the broken education system in New York. He said he would do for education what Rudy did for crime. And he took control of the schools. And 12 years later when he left, it was just as bad. Nothing changed. He said he would fix the traffic, the congestion. He made it worse with his bike lanes and pedestrian plazas. He said he would clean up. We had a big problem with garbage and waste management. He said he would fix that. Wasn't one inch better when he left. So this Mike can get I it done. Think we have, I think we have more rats when yeah. he left office. But yeah. what do I know? Mike can get it done. Mike didn't get it done as mayor. Not to mention the uh, high taxes he put in. Or the, the People around the country aren't going to believe this. He passed a law on how much soda you're allowed to order in a restaurant. <laughs> By the way, you you have to in a New York restaurant. I don't know if it's still in place, but didn't he put in place the plan that you have to, if you want salt and on your food, you have to specifically say, may I have a salt shaker? People think we're making jokes here. He passed these laws. How much soda you are allowed to have, when you can use salt. Even Putin would attempt these kind of laws. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the Big Gulp. How much? I don't drink Big Gulp. I don't, I'm not going to buy a 32-ounce uh, Big Gulp at, at 7-Eleven. I might go in. I don't drink a lot of soda at all. But every once in a while, I'll drink a little Coke because, you know, I'm tired. It gives me a little lift. I like it. I like energy drinks. But uh, to tell me how much I can drink just annoys me. I don't need that that type of governance yeah. uh joe you followed him a long time as well you know him he's telling us now oh all those things that i said my own words do not reflect they're not indicative of the way i think that's a pretty dumb statement to me well it's phony right because he only said this the day after he announced that he was running for president he went to brooklyn went to a predominantly black church and said these things like boy you know i, I really apologize for this and you know i realize it's wrong now well that's the phony part right but i think in the end i agree michael goodwin has a good uh, column out today for new york post and he says that this isn't going to hurt him because you could change your mind as a candidate as trump has as many other candidates that have Barack obama on gay marriage and so on that by the time you get to a general election this will only be a footnote and i agree and I, I don't know what you guys think but of all the candidates i'm seeing right now if michael bloomberg somehow gets the nomination probably through a broker convention i think he's the most probably the most formidable opponent for the president uh, and there's something else in that audio everybody's ignoring it's one thing if you think it's justified to do a search he says throw them up against the wall is he endorsing police brutality no policeman would say i throw people against a wall that went unnoticed and that's pretty ugly yeah, that's the, well, liberals will have a big problem with that, right? And that's that's the part of the, oh, but the, the problem the is the this. Wing. He's going to have a lot of tr trouble getting. But I asked a question before, guys. I, I want to hear it. Who do you think that is the better candidate to take on Trump, if not Bloomberg? I don't think they have anybody in particular that pops to in my mind that is a, a, a real clear present uh, danger. Uh, his anti-gun stance is not going to fly in red state America or Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, in my view. Uh, Americans support their Second Amendment and the draconian, you know, gun laws in New York are not that's not going to go over well. And those are the ads that he's taking out, as we know, even with the Super Bowl ad. It was a very sad story, the one he told. But the reality is to even own a gun in New York, uh, you better prove you had at least a thousand death threats like Mark Simone gets on any given day. How about me? <laughs> Those are yeah, just well, exactly. I, but, but, yeah, no, usually they're ex-girlfriends. That's yeah. true. Oh, <laughs> okay. In his, in his case, that's absolutely true. But here's the other problem we have, and that's credibility. All right, so he was mayor for 12 years in New York, and then de Blasio four more, that's 16, and now all of a sudden he never won. 17-plus years go by. He doesn't say a word 
about stop and frisk. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to run for president. Uh, that policy's not going to go over well with the African-American base, part of the Democratic coalition. I better just act like I'm really sad about what I did and the position I've held for 17 years. And I'm going to to have a, an election year conversion at a level that is is so phony and fake and fraudulent and I'll throw up crocodile tears in the process because that's what he did, Mark Simone. Well, actually, he you know he never apologized for it. He said, "I talked to my friends." He doesn't have any friends. What happened was in November. <laughs> hey, well, how do you know he doesn't have any friends? <laughs> He's rich. Rich people usually have tons of friends. Well, those are friends. But what happened was in November, the New York Times came out with a strong piece on their editorial page that you cannot vote for Bloomberg because of the stop and frisk program. He had a panic uh, over that, an emergency meeting that decided he had to apologize, and that's why he did it. You know, there's another audio that's emerged today where he's defending redlining. This is this practice where banks discriminate against minority communities. He was defending that in this audio, saying that may have caused the 2008 crash. He's got a, a lot of, there's a lot of audio out there that's going to surface in the next few months. Let me play this. Remember, we got to go back. It was the the Clinton years, the Community Reinvestment Act that, that mandated that financial institutions and banks lend money to people that wouldn't qualify. Well, that led to what happened in 07 and 08, and very few people paid attention to that. Anyway, let's let's play the cut. You've made some reference to the elements that led to where we are today. Could, could you go a little bit deeper and tell us from your perspective, how did we get here? What are the root causes of the well, crisis? That you can go back. I, w- I would say it probably all started back uh, when there was a, lot of, there was a lot of pressure on banks to make loans to everyone. Um, redlining, if you remember, was the term where banks took whole neighborhoods and said, uh, people in these neighborhoods are poor, they're not going to be able to pay off their mortgages, tell them your salesmen don't go into those areas. And then Congress got involved, as local elected officials as well, and said, oh, that's not fair, these people should be able to get credit. And once you started pushing in that direction, banks started making more and more loans where the credit of the person buying the house wasn't as good as you would like. Now, it's not so bad when the market for houses keeps going up because the nice thing about making a mortgage loan is it's very secure. After all, if the, if the borrower defaults, you simply sell the house and you have something that's worth more than the value of the mortgage. And that assumes that real estate prices never go down, and we just discovered that they could. But go ahead, Mark. I hear you laughing. Thurston Howell the third. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Does everyone even know what Gilligan's Island is? We might. You might be aging yourself here. Oh, I, I think people know. You just he makes John Kerry look down to earth. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Uh, I don't know. I, I see you as a ginger guy. You know, uh, me and Concha Marianne, right, Joe? Absolutely, uh, Marianne. Uh, well, <laughs> they're both friends of mine. So uh, are they really? Yeah. Well, by the way, why am I shocked? Mark oh. Simone's friends with everybody. All right. Stay right there, Mark Simone and uh, Joe Concha. We'll get to your calls in the next half hour. All right, as we roll along, Mark Simone and Joe Concha with us. All right. A, a minute each in our final minute here. Uh, predictions. How does this all play out? Nevada, South Carolina, Super Tuesday, brokered convention. Does Bernie get it? Do they try and steal it again? Joe Concha. 
brokered convention. I don't see a clear front runner here. I don't see any of these candidates having any ability to break away from the pack. I said before that Bloomberg probably presented the biggest challenge to Trump. I still think that the president's in a very strong position for re-election because in the end, he's running on a record. He's running on optimism. While it seems the Democratic message is, you know, the country's horrible. That's horrible. And that's not how you win elections. Shining city on the hill with Reagan, thousand points of light with Bush, make America great again with Trump. I don't know what the bumper sticker is for any Democrat right now. And unless you have that clear message, an optimistic message, you can't win in November, Sean. Your thoughts, Mark Simone. Uh, Joe Biden out after South Carolina. I know the old timers say there's this firewall. It's not going to work. He's going to be gone. Uh, the party, the elders, the DNC, the donors, I don't think they're that crazy about Bloomberg because you can't control them. They like uh, some they can control. Buttigieg has the advantage that Bill Clinton had. He doesn't really believe in anything. He'll be whatever you need him to be. He could, well, he could, you know, he's like a focus group guy. If he has to go moderate, just slightly center of left, he'll do that. And uh, the DNC knows they can control him. Buttigieg is like the world's worst TED talk. He's like a programmed, uh, <laughs> Tucker Carlson called him a corporate hologram created by the AI department of Google. <laughs> That's what he looks like. Oh my God! But you were, so I ran into him. I don't. I I think you guys heard me earlier say it <laughs> in an airport, and I said, "Like you want to come on the show?" He goes, "Well, did you have you spoken to so and so?" I'm like, "No, I haven't spoken to so and so. I don't know who so and so is." That's him. It's got to go from five committees. Uh, yeah, five. And I said, well, "Why don't you come on? It'll be good for you." <laughs> I said, "Look, I, I'm not going to lie. I'll give you a tough interview, but I'll give you a fair interview. Um, would you consider it?" Um, I'll consider it. And I said, okay. Uh, then I said, well, um, when can we do it? Well, let me think about it. <laughs> <laughs> why, do, why, do I take, why, why do I take that as complete rejection? Well, well you the, only... the only person that doesn't know rejection is Mark Simone. Because uh, I've seen him out in action, and you know what I'm talking about, Mark Simone. I have no idea. Hey, you only, uh, have, you only have 17 million listeners. Listen, he can go on a nice show where they got 200,000 crazy lefties. Yeah, why not? All right, thank you both, uh, Mark Simone, Thanks. Joe Concha. When we come back, we hit the phones. All right, let's get to our busy uh, telephones here. 800-941-SEAN, 264 days till Election Day. Uh, as promised, we're hitting our phones. We got, let's see, David in Florida. We will be paying very close attention to Florida in 264 days from now. How are you, David? Welcome aboard. Awesome, Sean. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a big fan. Thank you very much. Um, well, I, I'm calling in because I have a theory. Uh, I think that the impeachment against the president was not just about Trump. I, I, I kind of believe that was also designed by Pelosi and the Democrats to actually knock out Joe Biden, to ultimately set up a contested primary so the superdelegates would be able to pick their nominee. Uh, they want control. They want to get Biden out of the way. They know he's weak. They know that corn pop can't win in the presidency. They know he's dangerous. So they wanted to find a way to get him out and also bruise Trump a little bit. And I just kind of wanted to see what you thought about that. Um, just get your perspective on it. Well, you know, look, I, from my perspective is they're using impeachment that what they're trying to do is just damage the president any which way they can. The problem is, is even look at this now with this whole thing with Barr. Now that you look at what the real sentencing thing, sentencing guidelines are and you look at who the people are. And you look at the feigned outrage uh, by the media, and now they want to go after Barr because they know Barr and Dorm are actually doing their job. And they fear that their deep state buddies that did all the dirty work for them are going to get uh, what's coming to them if we have equal justice under the law. But this is all politics all the time. This is all smear Trump rage psychosis all the time. They 
there's not even a minute where they stop and reflect about what is in the best interest of you, we, the American people, the people of Florida, Ohio, New, uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and, and Wisconsin. What have they done for you? Um, so I think, you know, to specifically answer that the Democrats using impeachment to make their way, you know, for the stronger candidates, so they, they wanted to bloody up Trump as much as they can, right? That's, that's, what, that's their only mission. That's their only weapon, it seems. Yeah, I definitely see uh, them. They need to fundraise. They need to do things that can they can talk about in the in the fake news. They need to have things to talk about. And if there's nothing there, they got to create something. And it's obvious. I mean, I was I was an actual uh, state prosecutor for a while, and the things that I've seen have just driven me absolutely insane. I mean, it's just bo- boiling my blood. I can't even tell you. Well, I appreciate it, but it should make your blood boil. You know, I hope it makes. I hope it's boiling still and percolating until you hit the voting booth in 264 days, because I feel the same thing. I, I honestly feel, you know, it's so funny. I could tell you a story about Neil Bortz. I remember Neil Bortz used to say, Hannity, yeah, this is that. What we do doesn't mean a thing. It has no impact at all. That's You think it, it should and it does. And ah, I just act like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm just here to put on a show every day. I blah, blah, blah. And, and make get people worked up. I said, well, I think it's real. There's a lot at stake here. I mean, of course you have fun. We have a lot of fun on the show and on TV. And it's kind of fun sometimes to make fun of all these idiots. Uh, they make it too easy at times. After 9-11, Neil Bortz said to me, no, th- this is real. This matters. Making the right decisions now matter. Um, I had a conversation with him after Russia's diagnosis. I had I'd quoted him and he happened to hear me at the time because he's the one that once said that. And I agreed with him. Russia's Babe Ruth. He's the Babe Ruth of talk radio. And I quoted him. And he heard it. We, we just spent a lot of time talking. And I said, Neil, why don't you get back on the air? You've been driving around in that dopey sports bus of yours forever. And he kind of started laughing. And he goes, you know, I never thought about it since I retired, but I'm thinking about it. And I think you should. David, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, all right. New Jersey, let us say hi to Joe. Joe, you're on the Sean Hannity Show. What's going on? Hey, Sean. How you doing? I'm good. What's going on? Speaking of Rush, first of all, I'd like to give him my best. He is a true treasure. Um, if he didn't receive such cruel opposition, he'd be a national treasure. So if he's listening, Rush, all our love in my family. Did you um, hear the call that somebody offered to give Rush a, yes. one of their lungs? Yes. That's incredible. That was. Um, I, I got choked up. I was driving the car, and I got choked up hearing that, Sean. Uh, it, amazing. You know, when somebody, you think of everything that Rush is covered over all his incredible career i mean what he's accomplished is unprecedented and you think about all those moments all those stories you think about the clinton years and the bush years and then the obama years and you know now the trump years and everything in between and every and, and you think about all the attacks that he has taken and and what he's been able to accomplish i would argue is a real education of America and freedom and liberty and our Constitution and and the importance of, of proper governance, if you will, uh, in a way and advance the cause of conservatism more than, you know, any other one figure uh, that I can mention because Russia's on three hours a day. You've got 24, yeah, 21 more hours because 24 hours in a day and it opened up the door so that other people that have other skill sets 
that do things in their way, like the great one, Mark Levin or myself or all these great local hosts like Joe Pags and Lars Larson and I have Mark Simone. I have so many friends in radio. And it's, uh, you know, we're all different. We're all unique. But the contribution that he made is bigger because it just it, there was a forest and none of the trees were cut down. There are only 200 talk radio stations. Can you believe this, Joe, when he started right. in 1988? Now there's over hey, 3,000. Number one format in all of radio. Sean, I, um, I got a question and an observation, if you will allow me the time. And I don't want to take up too much of it. But um, I... Uh, I got a pretty potent batting lineup in my family. I got, you know, my kids. One's a lefty, one's a righty. My wife's a, uh, she's an independent, so I, I call her Bernie Williams. She's the switch hitter. Um, and I, I noticed my kid. I never enforce my opinion or try and sway my kids either way. I kind of sit back and I watch what they know, how they know, how they derive that coming to what their beliefs are. But I caught myself when they started becoming a voting age, telling them, inadvertently telling them, guys, pick and choose, you know, your candidates according to what you believe in. But beware of the people that make you vote for them out of pure fear. And and this is like six, seven years ago. And it just seems to be holding more and more truth uh, in this day. You have these candidates, they have no agenda. They just say, you better vote for me because uh, I'll prevent World War III, unlike this guy. Or no, this they use fear. Create. They've never changed their playbook. It's always the same things. Republicans are racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic. They only care about rich people, want dirty air and water, all that stuff. Uh, socialism now is appealing. Everything's free. We're gonna, you have student loan debt? Oh, no. We'll forgive that. You don't have to pay that back. Um, so all of that plays into it. You know, I've, I've taken a very different approach with my own kids because I'm so out there. Um, and I, I actually kid my daughter. I said, do you even know what I do for a living? And she mostly doesn't. It's not where her area of interest really is. And I, I, I'm actually glad for her. Um, with that said, she knows where her dad stands. She, you know, my son is more interested in, in this than, than his sister. Um, and he follows it more closely, not as, you know, but he's still 21. If it comes down to playing Fortnite or Call of Duty or watching Dad, I'm, I'm sure I lose. But uh, I but the more kids understand this and I it goes back to the old adage, Joe, doesn't it? If you're 20 and not a conservative, you don't uh, not a liberal. You don't have a heart. If you're 40 and a conservative and you're not a conservative, you don't have a brain. Well, again, and it's that's a the fear motivation in place, Sean. Well, the fear um, is know. real, though. I mean, look at all of a sudden you think, oh, I'm going to get paid $40,000 my first year. And then you take get that first paycheck and you realize oh, I'm only going to keep 25000 <laughs> Right. Hey, Sean, and, if I could bring an observation to your attention. All right, last quick thought. All right. The, the, when you have these debates on with the left reverend and the right reverend, I've noticed something very – a pattern – the left reverend, I love that reverend Scott, but whoever you put him up against to, to, to debate always goes to the civil unjust. They never, ever uh, default to their forte, which they, you never hear them talk about God, Sean. Never. God is not part of their lives. They always want to put blame on somebody. If you go from Re Jesse Jackson to Re Reverend Al Sharpton to the other guy that's always debating Reverend Scott, they never bring God into their in, into the mix. I, I don't know if that's true. I, I don't. Religion is such a deeply personal 
thing. Um, now you see. Now I was going to make this a short call. I, I, I look. Who did who did Jesus pick as his disciples? He picked fishermen. Okay, I would imagine fishermen are that back in the day were like fishermen today. And, you know, I know fishermen and they're, you know, kind of cool blue collar guys. They probably say whatever the equivalent of BS is and and maybe they like to have beer at the end of their shift or whatever, because those are my friends. That's who I grew up with. That's who I am. And, you know, he who did he take care of the most and love the most? The poor, the sick, the disabled. Um who did he, you know, Jesus chose sinners, even David Bathsheba uh, and and killing her husband and and Saul of Tarsus and and one disciple betrayed him and another denied him three times. And he came back on the after the third day and said, I will send a comforter and and go spread the gospel to all nations and I'll make you fishers of men. He told them when he first met them. So I think that Jesus understands the forgotten men and women and the most doesn't mean redistribution. You teach people how to fish. Yeah, I'll show you how to fish. You can fish all day. You can go get your own food for the rest of your life. And I think that is the philosophical difference when you apply it to government. Now, the foundations of government, look at our, our founders and framers and their wisdom. It, it goes back to something very profound and simple. Um, we're flawed as human beings. Our founders understood it. Our framers, the great pamphleteer, uh, Thomas Paine once wrote in common sense, 1776, were the guides of one's conscience, meaning God in our hearts is how I interpret that irresistibly obeyed. In other words, we don't sin. We don't do all the wrong things that we all do. There would be no need for any other lawgiver. None whatsoever. We govern ourselves. He says, but that not being the case, limited government uh, in its best uh, government in its best state is but a necessary evil in its worst state, an intolerable one. And in the past hundred years, the last century, over 100 million souls dead in large part because of a desire, sick, ugly, evil desire for power and Stalin and Mao and Hitler and Mussolini and the killing fields. And I mean, I can go on and on. But a lot of it is that we can't govern ourselves because human beings are flawed and imperfect. And government in its best state is limited government. Government will never fulfill these promises. All right. I got to take a break. 800-941-SEAN. If you want to be a part of this extravaganza. You know, it's so amazing how corrupt the mob and the Democratic Party are. I mean, what are, what is the key takeaway from uh, the Attorney General Barr when he speaks to ABC News? Well, what did he say that was the most important thing? He's never, the president has never asked me to do anything in a criminal case. Okay. We went through every statute today about how much time, median time, served in prison, Oh, rape, sexual assault, 4.2 years, four years, two months, negligent manslaughter, four years, robbery, 3.2 years. Oh, Roger Stone's big crime. Roger Stone lied to Congress or the investigators. Oh, let's put him in jail for nine years. Let's make sure he dies in jail. So anyway, full coverage tonight, the latest 264 days out of election, all coming up. We've got the news and we're going to give you information and investigation tonight. You won't get anywhere else. Hannity, 9 Eastern. We'll see you tonight at 9. Back here tomorrow. As always, thanks for being with us.